Before I begin this morning, uh, I want to have a moment to just personally thank all of you that have uh, supported me with your prayers through my recent heart surgery and how the Lord in his grace and kindness has brought me to this point where I can do this again. And I pray that he would be equally gracious this morning as the word is proclaimed to you. So, you might remember where we left Paul. We left him in prison in Rome. He was in house arrest for two years. Well, it seems that uh, he was acquitted at the trial, his first trial, even though he was not represented by anybody. But he escaped a sentence that would, we will learn this morning, that would have put him in the arena to again fight with wild beasts, which he had already done at Ephesus. He was released, and then he continues his missionary travels and work over the rest of the Mediterranean world. Missiologists say that the Apostle Paul probably walked over 10,000 miles spreading the gospel throughout the Mediterranean basin. So he leaves Rome and he goes with Titus to Crete, spends time with Timothy, leaves him in Ephesus, goes to Miletus, and then goes back to Troas, which was his home, and probably there visited some of his relatives, and he visited a friend named Carpus that he had left some things with, a cloak, uh, some scrolls, and some parchments. And then he goes to Neapolis, where he intends to spend the winter. But at Neapolis, he is rearrested and taken back to Rome and in prison. There he writes what we're going to read this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 4. These are most certainly the last words that the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write. The last things that came from his pen. David had asked me to preach a sermon that sort of said farewell to Paul after we'd gotten to know him throughout the book of Acts. Now I'm sure you are grateful to David for the wonderful job he has done in leading us through Acts and helping us to get to know Paul and to thank God for Paul's ministry to us. Amen? Amen? Amen. Thank you, brother. I appreciated it very much. Now, as we hear Paul's last words, instead of saying farewell to Paul, I would like to approach the text asking this question. The question would be, how would the Apostle Paul say farewell to us, to you, and to me? So in the presence of God and of Lord Jesus, I ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. 
For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychius I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he is strongly opposed to our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May I not be charged against him. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might fully be proclaimed to all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila. In the household of Anesiphorus, Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill in Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, the last words of your great apostle Paul, inspired by your spirit. This morning, take these words, and by that same spirit, teach us. Impart them to our hearts. Change and transform our lives. And we would pray and ask that you would do this. Because you've already given Christ for us. And having given him, how will you not along with him give us all things? We ask and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Okay. You would think that the last things that the Apostle Paul would write would be important. So it's not surprising that he begins with some solemn charges to Timothy. Now notice I say solemn because when he addresses Timothy he said, we are in the, you as I give these to you are in the presence of God and the Lord Christ Jesus. The um, Omnipresence of God means that that's the reality. That's the reality that's here this morning. Now hopefully that'll give you some help and understanding of why we stand for the reading of God's word. We're, giving a, we're getting a solemn charge from God's word inspired by God himself. And obviously we stand so we would pay attention with our whole being, with our heart and with our minds. And so as we look at these first five verses... I'd like to break it down into three charges that Paul gives to Timothy. And he says, first of all, 
Be forever faithful. Preach the word. Be forever faithful to the word. Be forever faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the parts of the motto of the Presbyterian Church of America, of which we are part, is to be faithful to the scriptures. Faithful to preach them. Faithful to proclaim them. Faithful to what they teach. Primarily, faithful to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, as he's writing this, might be thinking what he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when he said, when I was among you, I chose to do nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. That was the keystone of Paul's ministry. Now, why would he give Timothy such a solemn warning? He would give him such a solemn warning because he said, there are times coming when people will not tolerate sound teaching. Well, they will not put up with the gospel. Well, they'll gather around them countless teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. And that was already happening. The Judaizers were following Paul with a different gospel. The Gnostics were there with a different gospel. The world is always working to substitute something for the gospel of Christ because the fallen world does not love what they should love. They despise it. The culture of man always wants to cancel the gospel of Christ. And while it would want to cancel the gospel of Christ, the gospel of Christ will conquer the culture. And so the apostle Paul says to Timothy, be forever, ever ready, and ever faithful. And you know, back in the book of Galatians. The church of Galatia had experienced quite a vigorous revival. There were many conversions. But they quickly turned to another gospel that leaned towards work salvation. And Paul writes to them in that first chapter in verses 8 and 9. He says, listen, even though an angel would preach to you another gospel, let him be accursed, for there is no other gospel. There is one gospel. It is the gospel of of the Lord Jesus Christ, and there is no other. So Paul says to Timothy, be forever faithful. Christ died to deliver it to you. The saints have died and done that to defend it and also give it to you. So be faithful to it. That's our charge, your charge, and my charge, the charge of our church. Now, in addition to being forever faithful, the second thing he says to him, be ever ready. Be always prepared, in season and out of season, anytime, anywhere, to do what you have been called to do. It would, if you would, I would prefer maybe even to call it Boy Scout Christianity. Be prepared to fulfill your ministry. And you say, wait, that's for you guys that are professionals to fulfill your ministry. i just remind you for a minute, in the beginning of Acts, the Lord Jesus Christ gave you and me a ministry. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. And I think we're there. And we have that ministry. And so we're called to be ever ready to fulfill that ministry. And I would propose to you, this is really sort of a solemn thing, because if you live to be known as a Christian, if you if fly your flag and people know that you trust Jesus Christ. There is a time in your life 
when somebody is going to stand in your presence and what you have to say about Christ and what you have to say about his gospel may make an eternal difference to them. And you want to be ready for that moment. You want to be prepared for that moment. And sometimes, you know, when those kind of moments come, they, they tend to make us a, a little nervous, right? Well, I can't present the gospel. I don't know it. It's simple. You're a sinner and Jesus died for your sins. It's not complicated. But is it not true? If somebody would say to you, what must I do to be saved? You might be a little tongue-tied, but you need to be ready to be untied and be prepared to tell them about Christ and him crucified. And because those kind of nerves habitually attend those kind of spiritual battles, he says, be ever steady, keep sober-minded. And the NIV, NIV translates it, uh, keep your head, don't panic. That's what it says. Now I want to join the, the parade of uh, movie illustrations. Uh, and Mine aren't as sophisticated as the other ones. Because one of my favorite movies is Black Hawk Down. Ladies, no pressure. Pamela will not watch that with me. <laughs> but in that movie, the characters are real. And Sergeant Everman says to the Delta Force operator, Hoot, what do you do when the shooting starts? And he says, don't panic. Keep your head. So what do you do when the shooting starts and you're involved in a conversation in your family or at work or somewhere where people are telling you it's foolishness to believe in Christ? The gospel is a joke. You must be some kind of a backwards, unsophisticated person. Are you going to panic? Are you going to remember the kinds of things that Paul has told us? Remember Romans 8, 8, 28. In all things, and even in those difficult situations when you are tempted to panic, keep your head because God is at work in those situations for your good and for his glory and for the good of anyone else that might be there that are among his chosen people. And so being ever steady, ever ready. Timothy will be ready to be used. We will be ready to be used. And you know those charges come with that word be before it. And you know we can't be any of those things without Christ. Those are impossible commands. Our being that's going to issue into doing will come because Christ is at work in us. Paul says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We can be that as the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ works in us. Now to these three solemn charges, the Apostle Paul is now going to add as he gives to Timothy in his farewell, he's going to add to them three farewell reminders. And the first one is maybe a reminder that we don't want to hear so much, but that is remember that your life is an offering. He says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time for my departure is near. 
He sees his life as offering it back to the one who offered his life. That Paul himself might have life. And the drink offering was the offering that was given last in the sacrificial ceremony. It was, if you would, the, the most humble of offerings. And, and Paul says, remember, compared to the offering of Christ for you, yours offering is a humble offering. It is, it is like a drink offering. He hearkens back to what he told us in Romans 12, chapter uh, 12, verse 1. In view of God's mercy... Offer your lives as, as sacrifices, as living sacrifices, for this is, in fact, our true spiritual worship. What did the Lord Jesus say? If anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. For if a man wants to save his life, he will lose it. But if he loses his life for my sake, he will save it. Our life is an offering. You're offering your life to somebody every day doing whatever you do. You may be offering it to your employer. You may be offering it to your spouse. But you're offering your life to something or somebody. But Paul tells Timothy, remember it's an offering. It's an offering to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now not only is our life an offering, remember that your life is a contest. I finished the race. I fought the good fight. It's a contest. That's what our life is. There is a race to be run by faith. There is a fight to be fought in the armor of God and in the strength of the Lord. It's ours. And it's really important. It's not a casual view of life. It's really a special contest that we're entered in for we don't run for a temporal trophy, if you would. Think about it. I'm sure there's young girls here that are taking tennis lessons. But I don't think you're going to play at center court at Wimbledon. And there's young boys here, I know, taking golf lessons, and unless one of you is Jordan Spieth or his clone, I don't think you're going to play for a green jacket at Augusta. Some baseball players here Maybe even an aspiring pitcher, but I don't think you're going to pitch the seventh game of the World Series. Or a football player, or the Lombardi Trophy. Those things aren't going to happen. But the reality is, right now, you are in a contest where you are headed for a finish line. When crossing that finish line victoriously, you are going to receive a crown of righteousness from the Lord himself, not from the emperor but from the Lord himself. You will receive that which is only, can only fit you for heaven. The crown of eternal life. That gift that Christ alone can give you because Christ alone purchased it. And if you remember that, if you remember why you run, it's important. Alfred Lloyd Tennyson in his famous poem, The Charge of the Light Brigade, penned these sort of immortal words of the frustrated soldier. Theirs was not to give reply, and theirs was not to reason why. Theirs was but to do and die, half a league, half a league, half a league onward into the valley of death. They didn't know why, but we know why. We know what we're running for. 
We're running for that trophy, that crown of righteousness. And when you remember what you're playing for, not something temporal, but something eternal, something transcendent, something that is greater than anything you ever imagined. If you remember those things and call them to heart, then you will run well. Then you will fight well because you are running and you are fighting with Christ and you know where you are going and you know the end of it. And so, after these if you would, to show us his humanity with us before he departs. He departs with some personal farewells. You note in verse 19 and following all the personal greetings. Greet this person. Greet that person. They labored with me. I remember them fondly. They were my fellow workers. Greet them. Greet them in Christ for me. And not only that, he says farewell with personal openness. I'm lonely. I am heartbroken. Everyone deserted me at my first offense. Demas loves the world and he's gone. It's just Luke. It's Luke alone. And I'm lonely. But the Lord stood with me. The Lord was with me at my first offense. The Lord was my counselor before Nero. My Lord will be the counselor before the throne of justice. He didn't desert me. He departs saying, I forgive them, don't hold it against them. With an open graciousness that reflected what the apostle of grace would think and do. And then he did it with personal concern. Concern for Timothy. Timothy, watch out for Alexander. Be on your guard. Bring Mark. He's useful. I, come and, and be my company. And he has concern for us. He says, go to Carpus and bring the books and bring the parchments. Many of those parchments, people believe, were his record copies of the things that he had written to the Ephesians or the Galatians and maybe some of those manuscripts had even survived and have provided for us the Bibles that we have today. And then there's the personal concern. Bring my cloak I left at Troas with Carpus. Winter's coming and these dungeons are cold. And that cloak's going to be the only thing I'm going to have that's going to keep me from shivering to death in these cold dungeons. And then he departs with personal, unshakable hope. He says it's the Lord who's going to deliver him from every evil deed and bring him safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. He was about to be poured out literally as his head would be cut off. And he said, I have an unshakable hope. Even this evil deed which the emperor Nero will perpetrate. God will deliver me from that. And bring me into his kingdom. What else would you expect from the apostle of grace? So, I mean, how would? How would the apostle Paul say farewell to me? 
and to you. He would say, fond farewell, my brothers and sisters. Now imagine with me, it's a cold, gray, rainy day. And you're outside the Roman prison. And the guards are marching Paul out of that prison to take him to the site of his execution. He has the cloak sort of wrapped around him to protect him from the rain. And he walks slowly behind them. He looks over to you and he says, The Lord be with you. Grace be with you. The Lord be with you until we meet again. Now, by word and spirit, we're going to meet the Apostle Paul next time we read Romans. Next time you read Ephesians or one of the pastoral letters. You're going to meet the Apostle Paul by the power of God, from the Word of God, and the Spirit of God. But what is more amazing than that? What is included in what he says last to Timothy is the reality that we will meet Paul again. We will see him face to face, him with his crown of righteousness and ours with ours. That's why we run. That's why we fight. For we have been given that because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord himself will give it to us on that day. Remember what the Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I tell you a secret. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised imperishable, and the mortal shall put on immortality, and the perishable the imperishable. When the mortal puts on immortality and the perishable the imperishable, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory, and that victory will be ours. And the apostle who said to Timothy, the Lord be with you, grace be with you, says that to you and to me this morning, and our hope, our unshakable, imperishable hope, as all of us who confess and love the Lord Jesus Christ will see each other again. before the throne of Christ, wearing the crown of his righteousness. You run and you fight for the greatest prize ever given. So, run well. Fight well. Love Jesus. And may his grace be with you and with me. Amen.